Welcome to another episode of Xtreme. My name is Zach, and this is a podcast where we dig deep on your favorite video games. Today I am still alone here, no Joey, but he will be back soon. But, to tide me over, I get to talk about a fun little suggestion that was passed over to me. I thought it was a great idea, so I decided to jump onto it. So the suggestion was, why don't you talk about a game that really meant a lot to you growing up? Which is a fantastic suggestion, but I wanted to go one step further and see if that fantastic game still held up today. So with that, I'm taking off my nostalgia goggles and jumping right into Donkey Kong 64. Now, this game really did mean a lot to me growing up as a kid. It's uh, one of the few memories that I have of uh, showing off and being really happy about a game What that I had. I mean, obviously, a lot of the games made me happy while I was playing them. But this game kind of, like, made me want to share it with everyone and show, like, look at this game, you guys. It's crazy. To the point that I bought the, the, prima, the guide for the, for the game. Because obviously there's a ton of stuff in this, and you're going to need a little help and point in the right direction. Um, but I actually brought in, for a show-and-tell as a kid, I brought in my strategy guide <laughs> to show off to all the other kids. I was just that proud of how good of a game this was and how how happy it made me. And I just wanted to show off how cool I thought it was. And yeah, I know, whatever. I was that kid growing up. Who cares? I was enthusiastic about games. I still think that I am. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a big fan of this game growing up. And I really hope that going through it again now as an adult, that it would hold up to what, uh, to what my kids' standards were. Uh, there's no way it's going to live up to the nostalgia goggle version of what I remember. But I hope that it actually just, lives up to it still being a good game that I would play again. So, enough stalling, let's jump right into it. So we start off here with the intro cutscene, which in my opinion does a great job of showing off the hub world that you're going to be exploring throughout your journey here. It does quick vignettes of the areas that you'll actually be jumping into. Seriously, it just cuts to each of them almost. And then on top of that, it gives you an overview, a sense of the grand scale of this adventure you're about to embark on. Because it keeps panning out and showing how big the island is, and at the same time zooming in to these smaller areas, and you see islands off in the distance. It gives kind of a sense of the grand adventure that you're about to be taken on. On top of that, 
What I really love about this is that it gives the characters personality. I think that it's a really overlooked quality in a game when characters don't get fleshed out. I'm not just talking about the main characters. I'm talking about all the characters. Them having personalities that feed off of the people that they are interacting with give you more of a sense that you're actually in a cohesive world. It it draws you in. The immersion factor really increases tenfold if you put in that effort. So to kick us off here in this intro, it gives personality to one of the main factions in our game here, the villains. So it shows, you know, King Cruel as the uh, raging, angry despot, but not in the way that you remember him as just being a, you know, mindless brute. He actually has like a strategy in mind about how he wants to take down Donkey Kong and his friends. He actually is in command of an army. You see him being in command and flexing that muscle. And at the same time, you see the underlings also getting some time in the spotlight here to show what they bring to the table. And for the most part, it is kind of bumbly, you know, like, oh, no, we're the henchmen, blah, blah, blah. But like in the same way that it's like, oh, okay, like they're they're you know, they're goofy. They're just doing their job. I don't feel like I hate them per se, but I mean, because they work for K. Rule, you know, you have good enough uh, reason to fight them off. But it gives them, like, they're not the world's most horrifying threat to existence. They're just a bunch of, like, bumbling thieves, basically. They're like the wet bandits, except if the wet bandits were giant sentient reptiles. That would definitely change Home Alone. Oh my goodness. Imagine that. Marv is a lizard and oh, Imagine that peeping through your window. Woo! Kevin, run. I'd run the hell out of there. Anyway, tangent over. Um, also, just a little side note thing. <laughs> Steering with a hamster, with the equivalent of a hamster wheel is just the craziest thing I've, I would ever think to put as a mechanism for, you know, steering a giant boat. Just imagine that in a boat today, where you have just two people on either side of a hamster wheel, coaxing a hamster, or hamster equivalent, to run in a certain direction to turn the boat. (laughs) It's like the Rube Goldberg machine of, of, like... Of design philosophies for steering a boat. It's crazy. I just, what in the name, who is the architect at the Kremlin Island that was like, you know what? We could put in, you know, a steering wheel so that one person could just manually change it. Or I had this crazy idea. Now run with me on this. What if you steered with a. <laughs> With a claptrap. Just put him on a hamster wheel and then have two people on either side saying, like, this way, left, left, right, right. Like, <laughs> and he rolls like, yeah, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. So that kind of adds more personality to not only the, you know, the Kremlings, but K. Rule as a ruler. You know, he's not maybe the smartest, the smartest, uh, 
one in the bunch there. You know, the brightest crayon in the box, so to speak. So these factors all just kind of help build out the immersion of the game here and make you more invested in the adventure you're about to go on. So as you're moving through, um, you get get a bit of a training montage where you have to start off here uh, because, you know, you go off to Cranky and, again, talking about more the immersion factor, you know, Cranky in the uh, Donkey Kong Country games, you know, berates DK for being, you know, lazy, you know, good for nothing, whatever. And that's kind of, that's uh, also here in this game too. Uh, But it's more fleshed out, he has more to say, and Cranky isn't just a, like a, senile old man in a chair waving his cane he's actually a smart dude making potions that actually help donkey kong on his quest so he's not just some asshole in a chair yelling off in the distance like old man yells at cloud no no no. they actually made him smart and i think that's a good change don't just make him like an angry old man make him an angry old man who is a genius that at least gives him a reason to be there aside from just being an old man so I think that's a great way to flesh out a character. Um, and then as you move through, you get, again, I, I mentioned the training montage of, you know, it's a 3D platformer. There's a ton of different control schemes you have to master. And again, it's not my favorite way of conveying controls, but for 3D platformers, I'm willing to give it a little pass because, again, I can't think of a better way to convey it in the gameplay uh, just because there are so many more varieties of controls it's not just you know push button to to jump anymore it's push button to jump push button combo to pull out gun push button combo to pull out your your rock and roll instrument like there's a lot of different things when you're doing a 3d platformer collectathon specifically and you want variety in that game that's going to require a lot of different controls that you have to master so it'd be hard to convey it all through gameplay alone. Um, if I do, if you guys think of some way that you could do that in a 3D platformer or something that I'm missing, feel free to just email us uh, at it's the extreme at gmail.com. That's I T S T H E X S T R E A M at gmail.com and let me know because I'm having a I'm having a bit of a brain fart. I can't actually think of anything fantastic right now. Um, I'm gonna keep riding this coffee high and take a quick break to have another sip. Paul, you mind doing the honors? And we're back. So, as we move through here, the introduction again and to the main overworld area is pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, go here, go there, squawks the bird, won't shut the fuck up, and it tells you to go here and there. And I got more to say about squawks, but I'm going to hold off on that. But again, it's pretty straightforward again. You want to, in the beginning of these kind of bigger uh, Explorathon games, just kind of hold the player's hand for a little bit and say, like, 
Okay, now you're gonna wanna go over here and you're gonna wanna look at that. And okay, you're gonna wanna check that out, but don't be afraid of it. It'll be fine. It's like, and literally in the beginning of, uh, of, of Undertale is a pretty good way to describe it in a visual medium where, uh, you're, one of the NPCs literally holds your hand through a hard area. That is the, the, the equivalent of what's happening here. Um, they're holding your hand to, you know, explain it to you. So you are, they're setting up a foundation so you can have a fun time. Um, in certain senses, I understand that you need to do this. You know, you're targeting maybe a younger demographic in this kind of game. So you want to make sure that they're, they're hooked and that they actually understand everything. Um, but at the same time, it does come off a bit patronizing at the point as an adult. Again, made this game is maybe not, I'm not the target demographic anymore for the game. And I played it to death as a kid. So I remember everything. Um, but this is just my opinion. I would need to have a set of fresh eyes to take a look at this. Uh, but that won't be happening for another few years. Um, anyway, I think that, uh, it's not bad in terms of, you know, pushing the player in the right direction in terms of a tutorial. Uh, there is, again, as I mentioned before, there is really good dialogue between the characters themselves, the supporting cast and the main characters to again, flesh out that immersion into the world that you are exploring around in, depending on, you know, their alignment to the person they're talking to or their alignment in general or their, you know, their overall relationship. Um, again, it just helps build out that, that sense of world building, like the giant sentient wood board whose life, I guess, is just standing in the way of people until they present enough objects to him. And then he just disappears. What fucking life? What kind of a life is this? That's crazy. You imagine if you're just standing there with a number six on you and the guy's like, I have eight. And you're like, well, my time's come. And then you just disappear into nothing. Like, geez. What? I guess it'd be good because you're a plank of wood and you don't have the sentience to understand that. But, like, my goodness. Just imagine that. Ah. Wow, sorry. I just got lost in the thought. Anyway, let's keep moving on here. I had mentioned Squawks before. And, yes, he really does kill the immersion. A lot of it here. Like, a lot of it in the beginning. Mainly because it just... It kills a sense of exploration in the beginning. And for these kinds of games, I really want to just be, you know, let off the leash and gone to explore. Kind of like how Breath of the Wild did it, where it was just like, Yeah, you're out of the cave! Now go nuts, man. Um, But this one, it's like, Okay, you're in level one. Um, since you only have Donkey Kong, you can actually only get five golden bananas until you unlock more Kongs. And you can only go up to these areas. And it's like, oh my god, let me figure that out on my own. Look, I'm, I have a brain. I'm a smart enough person. At least I think so. It's a matter of debate. But anyway, it's just, it kind of kills that sense of exploration that's key for an a collect-a-thon game where you want to go and scour every nook and cranny. If it tells you that you can only collect this many at this point, it kind of disincentivizes you to go and explore more after you've hit that. 
or if you, even if you're close to it, you're like, oh, okay, well, I've hit it now. I guess, uh, I guess I'm done here. So I guess I won't be coming back. But then, you know, there's so much more that it opens up when you have multiple Kongs in there. I mean, it does reference like, oh, you can get more stuff with more Kongs. But um, it kind of disincentivizes you from exploring a little bit more in this introductory area, which is, again, it's the introductory stage. You'd want to set a good impression and make sure that, you know, you're instilling that sense of exploration if you had a dialogue box that said something to the effect of, you know, uh, there's only a certain amount of things you could get, not saying, you know, the exact amount, but like, and then ending it on something like, go and ex- go explore, like, check around the areas, go look at the nooks and crannies, like, have a great time. Something like that, maybe not have a great time, because that would be weird in the context of the game. But then again, like, they break the fourth wall in this game all the time. They talk about how it is a video game, and how, like, the... Donkey Kong Country series is a thing. Oh, yeah, like, Wrinkly's in this game, and she's dead. She's just a ghost. She died after Donkey Kong Country 3, most likely due to old age, but, I mean, she looked to be in pretty good shape in DKC3. She was doing workout tapes. What was she doing? Did she Zumba-size her way into the afterlife? How do you do that? I want, fill in the gaps here. Come on, Rare. Fill in the gaps. Tell me what happened. And I don't know. Anyway. Maybe she, maybe she kicked it after she heard the DK rap. <laughs> anyway. Um, I think it's not the best introductory stage that there could have been. Just because of that hand-holding. But then once you get past that, and you're just into it. Like, I have my notes in front of me, but the last thing I wrote is that I just kept playing for an hour without writing anything down because I just got into it again. I got into the rhythm of going around and just exploring and looking for shit and finding bananas and opening up new areas to explore and getting new items and new weapons. uh, You get into a rhythm with these kind of games. It forces you into a rhythm. It, you're just like, it, it, especially with Donkey Kong, considering the amount of collectibles there are, it really does like draw your attention to a new thing all the time because there's always something in the distance that you can see and get to because the maps aren't huge. They're huge. They're big enough to incentivize you to keep exploring. And if you need to move to another big area of exploration, they incentivize you further by putting a banana trail. Then again, you need those bananas to get to the boss, so you're going to follow that trail. And then once you, the trail ends, you're in a whole other area that you can just explore. So again, it's just further incentivizing that sense of exploration. So the gameplay is a great way of incentivizing it, but the narrative is going against that. It's like they're butting heads. It's just, why would they, I don't know why they would do that. Anyway, the gameplay itself is still solid. Um, moving Donkey Kong or whoever you're playing as around is actually pretty, pretty good. Um, there is no like input lags or anything like that. The game does slow down a little bit when there are a lot of enemies on screen, but that's common for N64 games, specifically with Donkey Kong, uh, because I believe when it was released, it, it needed actually extra ram to run properly on the n64 so it actually had to come with 
the expansion pack, the memory expansion pack, to accommodate for all the shit that's going on in this game. So, just imagine that. They had to ship a peripheral with the game to make sure that it ran properly, because they just filled it to the brim with too much shit. That's how much stuff there is to see and collect in this game. So much so that they had to create an add-on for the console to play it. They could have scaled it back, but they're like, no, no, no. We have something we want to share, and we don't want it to be compromised by, you know, something as trivial as hardware limitations. That's crazy. Can you imagine that nowadays? Like, if Uncharted or FIFA or something like that was like, you know what, we really want to push the limits of this console, and we know that it's semi-modular, so we're going to be shipping our games with this expansion. With this hardware expansion. That would never happen. Ever again. That's never going to happen ever. That, that was such a a moment, like a time capsule of the past, where I think it was one of the only games to ever do something like that. It was almost like historic in a way that, that nobody's ever going to be doing that again. I mean, I know Star Fox 64 released with the Rumble Pack, but that was more of a controller add-on, not really a hardware a hardware add-on for the base console itself. Because not every game could take advantage of the um, the Rumble Pack, and I know not everyone took advantage of the the external hard or sorry, the the additional RAM. But again. Adding in RAM to anything, any computer-based system, will improve the gameplay regardless, because it can now draw on that power. So, it's just amazing, because this game really not only came out with, you know, a ton of shit to do on it, but it improved other games by just shipping out that hardware accessory. So, I mean, kudos to them. It really is a piece of gaming history. Um... But yeah, I, you know what? After having played this game again for like, well, I don't even remember. I fell into a hole and I think I got out about three, three and a half hours in. And I was just, I was just floored because again, I do think that this held up. And I swear I took to Jeebus himself. I tried my best to take off the nostalgia goggles. And I think I did a pretty good job thinking critically about it. But I think my kryptonite might be 3D platforming games. That might be my kryptonite. That or actual kryptonite. I'm, I'm Superman.
Now, before I call it quits for today, I do want to talk a little about a few more random facts, or not random facts, uh, random tidbits that I wanted to talk about from Donkey Kong 64. Um, More specifically, um, the enemies in the game. Some of them are pretty straightforward again. They have uh, Gremlings, they have the uh, Zingers, they have Naughties, so on and so forth. Pretty standard Donkey Kong enemies that have been there since Country. But uh, they do switch up one of the enemies in particular that creeped the crap out of me when I was a kid and also now as an adult. Um, Specifically, the Claptraps. So, again, in the old Donkey Kong Country games, you know, you just jump on them and they're gone. You know, they try to bite you, but whatever. You jump on them, they're dead. So, same thing applies here. You know, you hit them. And then they die, and then their teeth come to life and try to eat you! Their their teeth with gum and, what, like, tonsil behind it just starts being sentient chasing after you. And you have to destroy the sentient teeth with gums and everything before it stops attacking you! What the fuck? What the hell? What is that? Why would you do that? That's ugh. Ew. Just imagine like a set of teeth chomping after you with like oh with the gangly gangly bits behind it. It's, ugh. it's so gross. Get it away from me. I don't want it. Ugh. I don't know why they decided to do that. It's friggin' gross. Um Sorry, I got completely off track thinking about the stupid jaws that I... Just get away! I don't like it! Alright, well, my train of thought's been completely derailed by a set of talking, jumping jaws. And that's all I can think about now. So I think I'm gonna end the episode on that. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. It really means a lot. I'm 100% serious. Um... If you want to get in touch, again, there's a bunch of different ways, but the best way to get in touch and have us uh, hear your thoughts is to send us an email at itsthextreme at gmail.com. That's I-T-S-T-H-E-X-S-T-R-E-A-M at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to email there. Um, I look at them all the time, and I appreciate every single one of these emails. It really means a lot to hear from you guys. Uh, until then, I think I'm going to leave it on that. And, uh, Paul, why are you putting in sound effects of squishy jaws around me? Ew, it's gross. Get away from me. Joey, I need your help. <laughs> <laughs>